Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired. He will not grow weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow weary and tired. And young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Lord, thank you that you are great. And we worship you and you alone this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Paseo. Aha, uh-huh. have a seat if you would. It is good to be with you. And uh, hey, really cool to have great family news from Derek and Amy, right? And uh, the, uh, Mia and Chris, and to add it to their family. That's just, that is exciting, exciting stuff. And um, we've got some other um, family news that we want to share with you. I want you to open in your Bible first to Genesis chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one that's near you, and it's, I think, on about page 17 of the Bible. But go ahead and find your way to Genesis chapter 19. Um, got some family news I want to share with you, and, 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 and it's this, that we are just so grateful, so thankful that you are a praying people, that Paseo del Rey is a praying people, and that you pray for our church, that you pray for our, our leaders, and you pray for the people of Paseo del Rey, and you pray for what God has for us in the future. And we want to just really say to you, thank you. And we want to encourage you to continue to pray for your church. Jesus loves this church. He loves it even more than we do. And so we really want to know what he uh, has for us and wants for us. Uh, I know about four months or so ago, I did a little family talk like this. And uh, I shared with you uh, how uh, our elders, our leaders, our pastors, we're always talking and praying and thinking about what God has next for us, what he wants Uh, in the future for us, that we might be uh, even more fruitful in making fully devoted followers of Jesus. And I shared with you uh, uh, three or four months ago that as part of that, as we consider that, that I initiated a conversation with our elders a couple of years back about my part in that and my role in that, about my transition. So as our church is always changing, trying to discover what God has for us, uh, that same thing happens in my life, and my wife's life, and our family's life. And so, like I said, about uh, uh, a couple of years back, I uh, initiated a conversation with our elders and what my transition might look like, because uh, I'm not going to be here forever. I'd like to be here until the Lord comes back, but that's not a very likely scenario that I'll, uh, that I'll continue to be here forever and, until the Lord comes back. And, and so, um, we ask you to be praying with us as God uh, guides us along the way. And I, I just want to tell you, we don't have any new news today. Uh, there's no announcements today whatsoever. But we want to ask you again and just encourage you again to be really praying with us as we really seek God and what he might have for us in the future. Um, I shared a couple of months ago and share again kind of our basic plan. And our basic plan is that 
um, about four years down the road from now is that I'll probably re- retire from being pastor here at Paseo del Rey. <laughs> that was one of our elders, and uh, oh, no, no, that was one of our former elders, <laughs> my good buddy Ben, ben Brown. Uh, he'll pay for that, don't worry. <laughs> he is now the committee chairman of all the women's ministries here at Paseo del Rey. <laughs> So uh, let me, where was I? Uh, So in about uh, 2030, I'm thinking about retiring. 2040, something like that. (laughs) No, in about 2020. Now, hey, now that's a soft target, right? That's a soft date. So if I'm still here in 2020, I don't want any of you to say, hey, listen, you promised us that uh, or whatever. Uh, So that's kind of just kind of what our goal is. And, and, and um, some of you go, gosh, 2020, that's a long way away. Why are you thinking and talking about this now? Well, the reason we're thinking and talking about it now is just really clear, right? Is 2020 is going to be here in no time flat, right? I mean, just time just flies. And we've got a lot of work to do and discover what God really wants for us and whatnot. So we, we just really want to ask you to be praying with us in this process um, but that's kind of what the basic plan is. And what, part of our desire is we really want to see a very healthy pastoral transition. Sometimes pastoral transitions are not healthy, and they're not good for anybody. And we really want to see God glorified in, in everything that our church does and in and, and, and the pastoral transition as well. So would you be really praying and thinking and asking God? And, of course, we want your input. We want your ideas along the way. And we will, as best we can, keep you uh, informed and kind of and keep you in the loop and ask for your wisdom and advice as we go along. Now, I just want to give you absolute freedom to talk about this. This is very public information. doesn't need to be private. And, and because we just think that's the best way, right, just to be really transparent about it. And we don't know what the future holds for sure, but want you to know what we're thinking in this timeline. And, and, and actually, you can also really be helpful to us in this way. Sometimes misinformation gets out there. And so because you know and because we're trying to be clear, then you can help if there gets misinformation. Like um, some people, you know, you might hear tomorrow, hey, I hear Pastor Gary's retiring next week. And you can kind of, you know, kind of settle that down, Right. Or uh, some of you might, you might hear that they've already picked the re- Gary's replacement, and it's his wife, April. And, and I know now that'd be a real positive thing, but that's just not the case. So you can kind of... <laughs> yes, April would be the new pastor starting next week. That's the, the latest rumor. Oh, my gosh. So how am I supposed to preach after this? <laughs> um, but here's our, here's our big thing. Uh, uh, we really ask you to be praying with us, right? And just all the time, be praying for your church and for your leaders, for your pastors, for the people around us, for the people around us, near us and far away, who don't yet know Jesus Christ. And Because we really want together, don't we, what we want what God wants. So, so thanks. So feel free to ask me questions, any of our elders almost any of our elders' questions. Uh, don't ask Ben any questions about this, but ask any of our elders' uh, questions about this, and we'd be glad to help you uh, understand a little bit better as we move along. So we're in Genesis chapter 19 now. That's where we're, uh, we are in this series. We're doing a series in the life of Abram, Abraham, and today we come to chapter 19, and chapter 19 of Genesis is like a reality TV show that has really gone bad. I mean, 
you know what reality TV shows are, right? They're these kind of supposedly unscripted things and kind of the very worst things that happen in people's lives, and they're just oftentimes just really crazy, and they're really bizarre. Uh, I, I looked on the Internet, and there's currently, there, it says there's over 300 reality TV shows on today. Uh, on currently. And if you think, think back to some of the shows that have been on in the past and some of the shows that are on now, I mean, they're just crazy. Um, you know, Survivor, and I made a list of some of the ones, Top Chef, Duck Dynasty, I think that's one that's on now, uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Uh, this is one of my favorites, My Big Redneck Wedding. I just said that was just, what a fabulous title. Our Wife Swap. Uh, married at first sight. That's one that I think is on currently, where these two people, they get married the moment they meet each other. And it's like, wow, what in the world is all that about? Um, uh, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I've always wanted to know about The Real Housewives. And then they had a sequel to it, The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And they're coming out with a new one, The Real Housewives of Chula Vista. And I just think that's probably going to be the best. There's Shark Tank. And then this is one I've never, no, I have seen this several times. Bridezilla. I've been involved in some Bridezilla kind of weddings. And, and they're just crazy. And Worst Cooks in America and the Ex-Wives Club. And that's a real reality show. And then, of course, the craziest TV reality show of all time, the presidential primaries. <laughs> I mean, you cannot make that junk up, can you? It is sick and sad. And so all of these shows, you know, nobody watches them, you know, if I went around. No, none of you have ever watched any of these. But somebody's watching them by the millions and Genesis chapter 19 is a reality TV show that has gone, it's like on steroids. It's gone sinfully, horribly, wickedly bad. And I just, I hate to, I hate to break the news to you, but you are not going to want to eat lunch today after you explore Genesis chapter 19 with me. You're going to want to go home and take a long shower and just kind of scrub yourself because it is, it, it is, it is just wickedly bad. So let's take a look at some of the crazy reality TV show in Genesis chapter 19. Verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, Lot got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, 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 they, these two said. We will spend the night in the square. Oh, but he insisted so strongly that, he, that they did go with him and entered his house. And he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Now, don't read further in your Bibles. You don't get that from a pastor very often, do you? But don't read ahead of me here. Let's, let's all stay together. So, so what in the world is, who is Lot? And what in the world is Lot doing in this city called Sodom? And why has the bus just dropped these two men who we're going to find out, or we, who we know, excuse me, are angels? Why did the bus drop them off there at the gateway of this city of Sodom? 
So we've got our map here. So you kind of orient yourself. Uh, we'll go to the map, if you would. There we go. Thank you. And so here's the, uh, the Jordan River going up north, south, Sea of Galilee, uh, the second body of water down. And there in the bottom is the Dead Sea. And so here we see Sodom. Um, uh, we're not exactly sure where it was, but it, it's in this area. And so this is where Lot is living. Now, who is Lot? Lot is Abraham's nephew. And we saw him in Genesis chapters 12 and 13, 11, 12, 13, and 14 in our study. And then since chapter 14, Lot has disappeared from the scene. We don't hear anything more about Lot since chapter 14. The last time we heard from Lot was in chapters 13 and 14, and it was about, we think, 25 years ago. So Lot's really been off the scene. And Lot, that whole time, we believe, has been living in Sodom. Now, I want us to go back to Genesis chapter, um, Genesis chapter 13, because I, I want you to see, uh, I want to just give you a little bit of the backstory there. So in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13, um, Lot and his family and his, his animals and his shepherds and Abraham and his people and his sheep and cattle and whatnot are all living in the area of Hebron, uh, there near the oak trees that Abraham's friend Mamre had. And so they're all living there together, and it's starting to get a little crowded. And so, so Lot says, Abraham, let's split up. Abraham doesn't like the idea, but he finally gives in to it. He says, that's okay. And Abraham says, Lot, you can make your, take your choice of what land you want to go for. And so Lot stands up near Hebron, and he looks over the land, and he looks to the east, and he sees this, this area of Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar down here. And at the time, it's not now, but at the time, it was luscious. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. Lot looked around, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men, Abraham and Lot, his uncle and nephew, Lot's the nephew, the two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, there near Hebron, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, if you have your Bible open, I want you to underline or circle that word near. So when, when Lot first goes down to Sodom area, he lives, what's the preposition there? He lives what? Near, um, near Sodom, right? And this is going to be important as our story goes on. So when he first goes down there, he lives near, near Sodom. Now, Sodom already had a reputation, um, verse uh, 13. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Sodom has this reputation of being a uh, reality TV show on steroids. I mean, it is, it is crazy city. Um, some people say, oh, was it like Las Vegas? No, it was not like Las Vegas at all. It was crazy. It was wild. It was bizarre. We're going to discover in just a couple of minutes uh, a little bit more about its wickedness. So then we find Lot. Then, so Abram, or excuse me, Lot is living near Sodom. 
But sometime in the next year or so, we think, saw, uh, Lot moves into Sodom. Uh, not on the outskirts, but he moves right into the middle of the city. And the way we know that is that uh, um, uh, some, some kings come and they invade Sodom and some of the cities and they take captive some of the people who lived in Sodom and these other cities. And Abraham has to come down and, and rescue them. So in chapter 14, for instance, in verse 12, uh, it says that these kings, uh, verse 12, they also carried off Lot's nep- Abraham's lo- nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Proposition, prepositions matter. As you study your Bible, every word matters. And so first he moves near Sodom, and the next time we find him a year or two later, perhaps we're not positive, he's living in Sodom. And that makes a big difference. So, uh, so then uh, we come to chapter 18. A lot just disappears from our view. We come to chapter 18 of Genesis, and three people show up to Abraham, and we find out that one of them is Jesus. One of them is a pre-incarnate uh, version of Jesus, the Lord, and the other two are angels. And so in Genesis chapter 18, we find in verse 20, the Lord, this, we believe this is a pre-incarnate vision of Christ, The Lord said to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous. And he goes on to explain that he's going to go down and destroy the city because of their incredible wickedness. They've had this reputation a long time, 25 years earlier. That re- the word on the street was how wicked they were. The Lord in his patience waits and waits and waits and says, now we're going to go down and see for, with our own eyes how wicked this city is. And so... The verse 22 of Genesis 18, the men, those are the other two angels that were with the Lord, the men turned and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And so Abraham stays there in Hebron, and he intercedes, he prays for Lot and his family who live in, in the midst of this wicked, wicked city. And so that's where our story picks up in Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the, even, in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And they wanted to stay, they wanted to just camp out there in the village square, which was not unusual. But Lot says, guys, I don't want you to do that. I'm not going to tell you why right now, but I want you to come and stay in my house. And he finally persuaded them to come and stay in their house, and they ate with them. And then, I'm sorry to tell you, the ugly part of the story begins, verse 4. Before they had gone to bed, and I want you to notice, Moses is our writer. Moses is writing this about 500 years later. Uh, before they'd gone to bed, look at the words Moses chooses. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house, and they cried out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Now, this is about as ugly as it gets, right? Archaeologists think 
that Sodom had a population of around 1,000 people. So if half of them were male, uh, that'd be about 500. And I'm going to give some of them a break. I'll give 100 of them a break, 20% of them. So you maybe had about 400 men. This is not on the exam to get into heaven, by the way. But might have had about 400 people, 400 men, that are surrounding this house and beginning a chant, a protest for Lot to bring these two men out so that they can have sex with them. Now, I want to say something more explicit than a lot of times I say. Could all 400 of these men have sex with these two angels? Probably not. But what they could do is they could watch. And guys, isn't that what we do with the computer? Watch. With our iPhones, watch. Isn't that what we do when we lust after a woman when she's walking by and imagine? We watch. Now, their perversion is perversion, but our perversion is perversion too. And the Lord hates it. The Lord hates it. And I want you to see something else. You might have missed it, but Moses wants to make sure we don't miss it. And so he mentions it twice. He mentions in verse 4, and then he'll mention again later, that all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old. Now, why does he say that? Both young and old. And the Hebrew word that Moses selects here is a word that describes males from toddler through early adolescence. And what Moses is saying to us is this perversion in this city had spread like an ugly cancer and it left few unaffected by its sinfulness. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about, um, about, about homosexuality. And, and we're not going to spend a lot of time speaking about that today because of a couple reasons. And one of them is because last November, October and November, we did a series called Marriage, Sex, and the Gospel here at Paseo del Rey, a five-week series. And this is online, so if you want to go back and listen to those messages. And we, we talked about, about all of our sexual perversions, that all of us are sexually, sexually twisted in one way or another. And we spent a fair amount of time talking about the way that some of us are twisted in a, uh, with, the, uh, with the actions of homosexuality. So we're not going to spend a lot of time with that. And the other, another reason that I don't want to spend a lot of time like, with, about that is that this is just like an easy target, homosexuality, right? It's the target that someone else has. And, and the Bible is really clear that, that homosexual activity was not the only sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was one of them, but it wasn't the only one. And in fact, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 16, look what Ezekiel says 
about Sodom and Gomorrah and their sins. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 and 50. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and underconcerned. Part of the stench that went up to heaven was the arrogance of the, of the Sodomites, their, their overfedness, their unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and the needy. They were haughty, and they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. Now, maybe their homosexuality is, the, is, is in that one word, detest, or two, two words, detestable things. I, I think that's included in this. But notice that Ezekiel, when he talks about why Sodom was destroyed, doesn't specifically mention homosexuality. It was there. It was there. I'm not saying it wasn't. But that the Lord was just as bothered, it was just as heinous to him, the arrogance of the people and their indulgence and their satisfying themselves and being unconcerned about those who were disenfranchised and those who were aliens and those who had no one to speak up for them, no one to care about them. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and they did detestable things. That's the reason I did away with them. We, we need to look at the whole Bible. And I just want us to be really careful, as we did in our series, Marriage, Sex, and the Gospel, that while homosexuality is a sexual, the activity of homosexuality is a sexual perversion that God does, detests, so are my perversion, so are my sinful attitudes, so is my anger, and so is my lack of caring for the poor and the needy, and my arrogance, and, and my thinking first all the time of myself, of myself, that the Lord hates that as well. So let's just be careful about the easy targets out there. Let's not, let's not pretend they're not there, but, but let those targets drive us back into ourselves to examine our own issues of sinfulness that are abhorrent to the Lord as well. Okay, so okay, so verse uh, verse six uh, said uh, Lot. So what does Lot do? Lot went outside to meet them, and he shut the door behind him, and he said, "No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing." So. Lot's kind of stepping up, right? He's being the Navy SEAL. If there's 400 guys, if there's 300 guys, if there's 100 guys that are hot to trot with these uh, two angels, they want, they want those two angels viciously. Lot, man, Lot kind of steps up to the plate here, doesn't he? He goes outside. He risks his own life. He says, don't do this wicked thing. In your growth groups this week, on the growth group questions, you're going to kind of struggle through this because Peter says that Lot is a righteous man. And man, this seems like a really righteous thing that he does, right? But don't look yet, but wait till you see what happens in the next verse. Doesn't sound too righteous to me. Uh, verse 8. Look, he says to them. Don't do that. But instead, he says, I got two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. What? I mean, this is, this is reality TV on double steroids, right? 
Now, there's some, you, you can find some commentators and some preachers, and this is, again, it's not going to be on the exam to get into heaven, uh, who, who, who would say, well, the laws of hospitality said, what? What do the laws of hospitality say? That you need to protect the people who come under your roof, but it's okay to give your virgin daughters away to 400 guys? No, no, no. You know what's happened is, is Lot is no longer living in Sodom. Sodom is living in Lot, right? It is soaked into him in the 25 years or so that he's been living there. Remember how did he start off? Where did he pitch his tent? Near. The next time we see him, where is, this, where is he living? In. You see, it was this, this kind of slippery slope that he found himself on. And Lot has lost his bearings. He's lost his compass. He's, lost, he's become desensitized. And there's more Sodom and Lot than should be. Verse, verse 9. Uh, let's read ahead. Um, Get out of our way, the men said. Uh, see how, how perverse these dudes are? You know, they don't even want the virgin daughters. They're just after these dudes. Uh, this fellow, and, and then they say to each other, this fellow came as a foreigner, and now he wants to play our judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved toward to break the, down the door. I mean, that's a right. All hell is breaking loose here, right? But the men inside, verse 10, reached out, and they pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. You know, sometimes I think they should have left him out there. After what he did to his daughters, offering his daughters, and that's not advisable, uh, but it's like, what in the world? But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house, and they shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so they they couldn't even see the door. And then the two men said to Lot, 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 do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here. We got to move. We got to roll out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy this city. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. I wonder what they thought when they heard this story. He said, hurry up, guys. Hurry up, future sons-in-law. we got to get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the cities. But what's the son-in-law's reactions? They just laughed. They thought he was joking. Do you see the lack of influence that Lot has in this city, either with its citizens or even with his own sons-in-law? How much Sodom has gotten inside of Lot that he has lost his saltiness. Because we're supposed to live in the world, right? We're supposed to be out there. We're supposed to be penetrating our workplaces and our towns and our communities. But Jesus says we're to be, Jesus says we're to be the salt of the earth. But he says if salt loses its saltiness, you're just no good. And I think that's what's happened to Lot in these years is he has lost his influence. He's lost his saltiness. And I find no spiritual life whatsoever in Lot. And your growth groups, you're going to talk about that because Peter has something different to say about this. But I see no sign of spiritual life. I see no prayer. I see no altars being built by Lot. Now, I know that those are arguments from silence. They're not the best arguments, but they need to be considered. 
And you, 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 you see, don't see Lot fellowshipping with other believers. He has seemingly lost his saltiness. So, verse 15. Uh, so so, so the, the, there's this sense of hurry, right, in verse 14. Let's get out of here. Uh, verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away and the city is punished. Now, now I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's think about this for a minute. The angels show up in the evening, right? And this crowd gathers, and, uh, and these angels are saying, Lot, you got to get out of here. you got to hurry. This city's going down. And so what does Lot do? He waits till the morning. What is his problem? Maybe he had a rerun of some uh, uh, science fiction show that he, hadn't, he wanted to go back and watch. But he lingered, and he's, he, he, he hung around. You know, you know, if you're in a movie theater, and someone yells, fire, do you go, hey, could you guys hold off on that for a little bit? Because there's 20 more minutes of the movie left, and I'd like to kind of stay and see how it finishes. And, of course, at the price of movies, you might want to negotiate that kind of a deal there. You know, you've paid a lot of good money to get in there. Man, if someone yells fire, you get out. But Abram, or excuse me, but Lot, man, he's just, he's just hanging around. Um, look at verse 16. When he hesitated, when he hesitated, man, man there is something about our sin that's comfortable. There's just something about our, our sin that's predictable. There's something about our sin that um, it promises and it's predictable and it's pleasurable. And we, we, we want to we have one foot in and one foot out. And, and I don't know what all Lot's sins were, but he, but he hesitates. And, and look, at the, look at the wonderful, wild mercy of God. I mean, if, if anyone doesn't deserve God's love, it's Lot. If anyone doesn't deserve God's love, it's me. And look what God does in this mad, crazy wickedness. Look at God's wild mercy here. When he hesitated, I, I think when he hesitated, those angels should have just gone, poof, you're gone too. But in, when he hesitated, verse 16, the men grasp his hand and the hands of his wife, and of his, grasped the hands of his two daughters, and they led them out safe, led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Do you see the Lord's mercy in reaching into this mad craziness, this wicked sinfulness, and grabbing these guys by the arm to drag them out of the place that they don't even want to drag, be dragged out of? And that's what God does to us in his mercy. Man, we don't make the first step toward God. It's God reaching in with his mercy and pulling us out and beginning to, to pull us out in all in his mercy. Uh, verse, verse 17, as, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee, flee, flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, uh, 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 guys, hey, time out. Just give me a minute here. I've got to talk to you about something. What is the what is Lot's deal? Uh, hey guys, you know what? If I have to run all the way to the mountains, 
something really bad is going to happen to me. There's this little place, this little town, just a, it's a little place. It's just a kind of a gas station on the road there. It's here in the plain, and if it's okay with you guys, I want to stay there. It's just a little place. The Hebrew word for little is Zoar, and so the name of this town this little town called Zoar. I'll just stay there. I'm getting, and if I'm the angel, I'm like, hey, Lot, we're done, dude. You're just history. You hear what we said? Flee, don't look back. Flee, don't look back. Run for your lives. Run to the mountains. Do you guys under, do you understand what mercy is all about or, 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 or not? Do you, what are you missing here in the story? Um, uh, Lot said to him in verse 18, No, my Lord, please, your servant, if your servants found favor in your eyes, uh, can I, I can't flee to the mountains. Verse 20, look, here's a town near enough to run to. It's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. And the angel says, okay, okay. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, kind of like when your kids grind you down. You know, they just ask and ask and ask and ask. Okay. I, I think that's right where the angels were. Very well, verse 21. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee quickly. Flee quickly. Verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zoar, that small place, the sun had risen over the land, and then the Lord rained down, here it is, fire and brimstone, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah for the Lord, uh, from the Lord from the heavens. And he overthrew these cities in the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also all the vegetation in the land but Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. She became one of these um, uh, sulfur, probably, uh, uh, features that you still see down in the land there at the south end of the Dead Sea. And early the next morning, Abram from Hebron got up and returned to the place where he'd stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Do you see God's wild, crazy mercy in rescuing one who never deserved it? And that's what he does for us. That's what he does in our lives. Now, I want to send you home with three take-homes here. Here's the first one. They're on your message outline if you want to fill in the blanks here. And the first one is don't be duped by the subtlety of sin. Remember, Abram sets up his tent near the cities, and then he moves into the cities. And that's the way sin is. It's always subtle. It always starts off slowly. You know, I mean, I mean if the devil showed up with horns and, uh, you know, horns and a tail and a pitchfork and said, hey, you want to come sin with me? You know, none of us would go there. He doesn't do that. He appears oftentimes as an angel of light. He, it's just a kind of a subtle and slow thing. Uh, remember when I was in college, I was a youth pastor at a church, and um, uh, I, I was at Mesa College and in a Spanish class, and I met a girl, and uh, I, I asked her out on a date because I wanted to share Christ with her. And she ended up, she's a great gal, but she ended up sharing more of her life with me than I did with her. And it started off with a really good motivation, a really good motivation. But that slippery slope where Sodom remodels us more than we reshape 
Sodom. That's, that's our job is to, is to help redeem people from, from Sodom. But oftentimes the Sodoms in our lives end up reshaping us. So that's the first thought, is don't be duped by the subtlety of sin. Here's the second thought I want you to go home with, is is hate sin for what it does, not how it feels. Because sin promises and delivers pleasure. Sin promises and delivers pleasure. If sin wasn't pleasurable, it wouldn't be a problem, would it? You know, because if, if sin said, hey, you want to really get messed up and feel lousy and, and uh, how about some real pain and misery in your life? Come on. None of us would go for it, but sin is, the Bible says sin is pleasurable. I had someone question that one day. What do you mean sin's pleasurable? Have you sinned recently? And the Bible says it. Look what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty five 25, that he, Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, Hebrews eleven twenty five. And when we sin, you see, see, so what we need to do is, is hate sin for what it does, not for how it feels. And what sin does, think back to Genesis 3 when, when um, Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned. Think of what it did, not how it felt, because the, the, the fruit probably tasted pretty good, but think of what it did. It distanced them from God, Right? They had been in this open relationship with God, and now it distances them from God. It caused them to hide from each other, right? What do they do? They, they put clothes on all of a sudden, and they, they hide from each other. They hide from God. This is what sin does, is it builds barriers between people who love each other, people who care for each other, and it causes us to hurl. Because what do Adam and Eve end up doing? They, well, the woman, it's her fault. And we start blaming other people. That's what sin does. And that's what we should hate. Sin brings misery and it shames us. And, and, and here's another interesting thing that sin does. Sin is a catalyst for more sin. And, and, I, and I don't want to believe that that's true. I want to believe I can sin and 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 then I can come back from it. But what sin does is it makes more sin more likely. It's a catalyst for more sin in my life. And my sin harms you. Your sin harms me. Hate sin for what it does, not how it feels. And then here's the third thought. And I, I might have worded it a little differently as I've just rethought about the passage, but here's how I worded it, is run to God's wild mercy. Run to God's wild mercy. When God reaches in and grabs your arms in his mercy, boy, come with him. That's how I reworded it, something like that, where it's we let him pull us out in his mercy. Man, Man, don't resist. Don't hesitate. Don't drag your feet. Let his wild mercy have his way in your life. And I want to pray that for you. I want to pray that for me. And I don't know what your Sodom is. And you know, Sodom doesn't have to be gross and horrible. It's just going to be sin. And, and all of us have Sodoms around us. And, and some of us have one foot in Sodom. And some of us have two feet in Sodom. And what the Lord wants to do is to reach in and pull you out He wants you to really know that sin is subtle and it wants to suck you back into Sodom. And the Lord wants you to know 
he wants you to say, sin, as pleasurable as it is, is never worth it. Sin is horrible, and it'll kill us. So why don't you stand? I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for myself. I don't have much, Lord. We don't have much to offer you. And certainly not anything near what you deserve. But still, Lord, this morning, we come. And we come because of your cross. Your cross has placed in us great worth. O Christ, our King of sympathy, whose wounds secure our peace, thank you that your kindness, thank you that your grace extends to call us your friends. That your mercy, your mercy sets us free. And Lord, we know we are broken and we're messy, that we linger in and around Sodom way too long. We know, Lord, that we're unworthy. But because of your grace and because of your mercy, Lord, we're able to stand today forgiven and full of your Spirit. And while we should be ashamed, we're not because of the mercy of the cross of Jesus.